poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Coach Brad Wilson, and I am joined by my protege, partner, co-host, Mr. Jonathan Chai. How you doing, sir? Doing good. I'm excited for this episode because they're not my hands. Yeah, not your hands. They're 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 my hands. Um, so I've been getting back into the the streets a little bit. You know, I think um, there's a. I, I guess the the way that I think about it, I've spent the last three years coaching, studying, researching, training other people to play poker, and in that three year period of time, um, I haven't gotten a chance to play very much because there's just so many as you well know, right? There's so many responsibilities, so many things to, to do on a regular basis that take up a lot of energy that makes it to where like playing in the way that like I've always played uh, just very, very difficult, if not fully impossible. Um, but there's a story for, for those of you who are listening. Uh, there, there's a show that is one of my favorite podcasts of all times, huge plug to Hardcore History. Um, one of my favorite series in hardcore history was a series that um, they did on the Mongols, uh, just the, the Mongol horde. And there's a part part of, uh, you know, Genghis Khan's um, leadership where after like a year, so so the Mongols, for those that don't know, they, they conquered essentially the, the known world at the time. Like they expanded, they were on Europe's doorstep when Genghis Khan died. Um, and they would have absolutely kicked the living shit out of Europe had they gone in. I, I'm completely convinced. But they had conquered the known world and they had gone from this steppe nomadic de- desert tribe to that, that were very, very poor to the wealthiest uh, group of people on, on the planet, right? They, they just had wealth, just la- lavish existence. Um, and, and so in Genghis Khan's wisdom as a leader, he recognized that what, what happens when um, a nation goes from having nothing and being dirt poor to having everything they could ever desire uh, is that they could get soft, right? Like the, the, the people that, that he's leading, the generals, that they can get soft, they can get, they can relax. And so like he recognized that as a potential failure point. And so what he did every two years was he would rotate his generals and his soldiers from, you know, being at the source of power in Mongolia and having access to all their stuff, he would send them back to the steppes, back to the desert to spend two years um, as a reminder, right? This is where you come from. Life is hard here in the desert. Life is tough. So they would stay strong um, over time. So anyway, I mentioned this story because I think it, it is important that every now and again, you know, the, the wolf general sends himself back to the steppes to do battle and recognize like, yo, this is, this is what it's like um, being in the streets. This is what it's like uh, playing cards on a daily basis, dealing with the emotional highs and lows and investing the, the right amount of mental energy to, to the point of like you, you play a session and then your session ends and like you're just fried, right? Like it, it's hard to emulate that feeling. Um, in, my ca- it's, in my case, it's hard to emulate that feeling doing anything other than playing poker at a, at a super intense high level um, for a number of hours. 
So anyway, th th these are my thoughts as it relates to like jumping back into the streets, putting in some volume and playing cards, not going to be for um super long period of time. I don't think I'm just, I'm, I'm visiting the steps to kind Forest. of, yeah, I'm, I'm reminding myself like, you know, how it feels to be grinding on a daily basis because like, frankly, th this is what the wolves are doing, right? They're grinding on a daily basis. They're, they're in there battling, they're dealing with this. And so I think it serves them very well um, with me just getting a reminder, right? A taste of like, yo, this is what it used to feel like to, to be in the streets. This is what they feel like on a daily basis. And so now I can, I, I can just be a better leader uh, for them. So that's my whole uh, little story and preface for setting, setting up this episode. Cool. Let's see what you've learned in your, in your time with the, the rich folks up there, I guess, <laughs> not, not in the desert, just enjoying your, your lavish lifestyle. See if you, uh, might have so, gotten soft. I, I think that that new. part of it is is probably uh, <laughs> not not the greatest uh, analog uh, takeaway for this situation. But being in the streets, thinking about different things, um, I, I think is is. Yeah, is you've been in a different desert. It wasn't it wasn't a, a, a palace was, the last few years. <laughs> look, I, I'll be honest. Like, it's it's a metaphorical palace, I think, because you know, we're we're making a promo video for for wolves, or we're putting together. I've interviewed a bunch of them, and I I, I just. I think that when I look back on my life, I'm almost 40 now and think about like the best times in my life. You know, there's certain time periods that I, I, I think are, are quite meaningful to me. And this one that I'm in right now, these last two years and this last year of running wolves with you um, is almost certainly part of my golden age of existence. I, I'm, I feel very, very blessed that like, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to envision 10, 20 years down the line being more fulfilled and happy to go to work than I am today, just bar none. So like in that sense, yeah, it, it, I feel like I do live quite a lavish lifestyle because I, I'm fulfilled, my values are met, I'm working towards something that I love doing um, and I just don't see anything like better than that from a professional standpoint. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. Um, and yeah, I think like kind of like just all the joking and like the, the analogies aside, like I totally agree with you that um, that that's what like wolves has been for me as well. And I think it's like, you know, you talk about sort of like stepping down and like coming back, back into the streets or something like that. But I also like, think it's important to like, just because you haven't been playing poker, doesn't mean that like, you know, you haven't been like spending 24 hours a day thinking about like the best way to, you know, play poker and improve and, and, you know, beat this pool, which is, at the end of the day, kind of similar, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't require you playing hands, but it's, you know, similar to like what all the wolves and, and, um, you know, someone like me who still plays a lot of poker, um, is, is doing so. Hey, you know, I, I, I just need to like show, you know, like let, let's do like a duel and just show, show all the wolves like, yo, like done. I still fucking got it. You know, like, old man still got it. You don't, you don't want me to sit down at, at your poker table, right? Like, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. You should still listen to what I have to say because, uh, yeah, I, I'm still quite, quite ferocious in the arena. Um, with, with all this being said, by the way, and this is kind of like impromptu setup, but, uh, for the next week, um, this will be on Tuesday released on Tuesday. So you'll be listening to it. We are going to have wolf tryouts, which essentially is four one-to-one -one sessions with me um, for private coaching sessions. And it's an evaluation as to whether or not I believe you'll, you'll be a good fit for the wolf program. So if you're interested in trying out to become a wolf and, and work with me directly, I only open my doors to one-to-one -one private coaching a few times a year. And once, you know, I, I have like three to five 
folks who want to try out for Wolves and buy the the coaching package, then the doors are going to close until, you know, like the next quarter, maybe somewhere around February, March, April, something like that. So just uh, again, there, there's a few slots open. Um, if you're interested in trying out, then head to Greatness Village or send me an email, brad at chasingpokergreatness.com, and I'll send you the link to buy the, the coaching package and we can get to work, right? Okay. All that said, now we have a hand um, to break down. So this hand is at 500 no limit. This was when, in, the, in the first like few days um, that I was getting back. So played in the 500 streets. Um, I've been playing 500 through 2K. Mostly I think 1K though is, is a primary stake. Uh, so in this spot, the button, everybody folds to the button. Um, we're playing 125 big blinds deep. 120 big blinds deep. Um, they open 3x, and I call from the big blind with trays. I don't think anything to kind of talk about there. Uh, Ace five tray flop, and I guess this is the first decision point because I, I, I automatically kind of go off the the reservation. So, what are you what are you thinking here, John, on flopping bottom set Ace five three? Um, I guess I wouldn't have much to think about with my strat. I think I'm just doing a range check on. Ace high boards and and while Ace five three probably does slightly favor um, the big blinds range in the sense that like we probably have more combos of two pair here than the button does considering that like you know we might have hands like um, you know we might go down to like Ace three suited in our like flatting range or three five suited and the button probably doesn't open those hands uh, sorry Ace three offsuit and three five suited um, considering the button probably doesn't open those hands but all that being said I think I would just be still be simplifying my strategy here to range check and. Pocket threes would just be a slam dunk check for me. Yeah, like I, I can tell you the thought that I had in game was that like this board um, for the buttons perspective is going to be like a low frequency C bet, um, a lower frequency C bet, and typically going to use a bigger size is how how the you know ace high, ace low low boards tend to work. Um, so I thought that like I would face a C bet at somewhat of a low frequency, um, and they'd be checking back like. Well, a lot of their like top pair we kicker type hands and and those are really the hands that like I, I wanted to target um for like three streets. I didn't mm -hmm. think I could get like four streets out of like ace ten, for instance, because probably gonna lose them at some point after I check raise the flop somewhere down the line. Um yeah. and that's so, what you mean by four streets is like a flop check raise plus four bets, two yeah. two bets on the turn. Yeah. Or sorry, two bets on the flop, one bet on the turn, one right, bet right, on the turn. Yeah, yeah. Play play for four bets. Um yep. they don't they don't have many hands that want to play for four bets, honestly. Um so Anyway, I, I opted to donk the flop to try to play for three bets, um, and I went half. Again, like here, I'm targeting their like top pair weak kicker region. That that's that's the primary region that I'm targeting. Um, they call, which is nice. Turns a queen of clubs, so flush completes. Flop was ace five three two clubs. Turn is queen of clubs. Now what? <laughs> um, already in a spot where. I'm confused because you don't a know a little confused. Up. Yeah. Um, okay. So like, let, let me just like, I guess just think about like what the buttons range is in the spot. I think their calling range is obviously going to include the top end of their calling range is going to be flushes. Um, maybe one category category below that is going to be like their now two pair range, something like queen five suited or ace queen suited. Um, maybe a small smattering of, of, uh, middle set with like turned turn pocket Queens. Um, think they have another category of hand that's below that which is just like their top pair we kickers everything from like ace do suited to ace 
Jack, Ace King, all, all mm-hmm. their one pair ASX. So not even yep. top or weak kicker, top or good kicker. Um, do they have a low equity range on this turn? Probably. They probably still have like hands like six, seven, um, you know, Jack 10 of hearts, King Jack of hearts, Queen Jack of hearts, Queen 10 of hearts, uh, three straight with a backdoor flush draw hands on the flop. Um, and then. Yeah, I think draws. that's like probably what their yeah, that's probably what their range looks like. They have a bunch yeah. of like pocket pairs in between like sixes through kings with a sure. club. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- those type of hands um in their range as well. So with with all that said, like I I didn't think they had a ton of hands that would bet versus check. Um and again, like uh, I decided to to target their top pair week kickers, which have now been demoted due to the flush completing, as well as their like pair plus draw region. Like I I, I think that that's that's the whole region that I, that I decided to target on the turn. And gotcha. in order to do so, I decided to bet small, uh, went a third. Um, and I also think that like, it kind of serves a dual purpose to where like, I, I think that if I bet big on the turn, um, I don't want to play like if the money goes in here on the turn, I don't think that's great for my hand. So I didn't want to bet too big to create a situation where like when villains want to play for all the money, um, it's to my detriment pretty much always. So I decided to invest like a third, third size bet here. I bet uh, four big blinds, so $20 into the pod in the 63. I think another way of like kind of saying what you're saying with your bet size here is that like you want to pick a size where we're, we're, should you get raised after betting the turn, it's to a non-all-in size or it's like, yes, it's, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Or not even like a non-all-in size, but not like an absurdly giant right, right. size, right? Right. Like I don't want to bet like ninety and get raised to like three hundred. Like that's just yep. that that's a, a nightmare. Yep. Um. So villain does choose to raise to three x. So they raise to sixty. Now, uh, I, again, like I, I'm not in the bet three bet business here with bottom set. Um. So the, the question becomes like, what does their range makeup look like here? Like, well, what what hands do you think are like raising the turn facing uh you know donk and then uh follow up turn follow up. On a flush completer. Um, <clears throat> assuming that the button is reg, uh, so I think the easy turn raises are just going to be flushes, first sure. of all. Um, I think they're mm, like a low equity raising range. Maybe something like maybe like the King Jacks and Jack 10s that call the flop with a heart that like turn a gut shot or something like that. Maybe yeah. makes sense. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if they just didn't have any low equity raises on the turn, to be Me honest. Neither. Yeah. Um, and I think there is also possibly like a small portion of their range that's raising to turn to, to check back the river. Maybe a hand like ace queen, ace king, um, ace five, ace five. Yeah. So that's I, yeah, that's sort of how I would think about the raising range. Here. Maybe queen five. Um, yeah, queen five. Yeah. Like all, all their two pair essentially. That, that that's kind of like the there's two categories of hands here. I think that are primary to villain. Number one primary would be their flushes. That's obvious. And then the second would be their like two pair type hands that, or maybe their sets too, that, that um, are raising the turn and then like checking back on, on a lot of rivers um, depending on the run out. So like that, that was sort of like my analysis on the turn. Um, and so I called the turn, we get a 10 of spades river, which is not the greatest of rivers. Um, and again, like when, when I thought about that range makeup on the turn where they're, they're going to, where I thought they would have like a fairly wide amount of two pair that raises the turn as well as flushes. 
Um, if I check, I feel like their two pair is going to check back quite often. And then I also felt like their flushes are going to bet an amount that is just not great for me. Um, they're going to bet like, you know, 160, maybe even over bet 210, 220, maybe jam like all 500. And I don't think like any of those sizes, like my hand doesn't want to really play for uh, all, all the chips. I don't think on the river. So mm-hmm. um, to kind of like make it to where I, I essentially to, to make it to where like, I want to play for the amount that my hand wants to play for. Um, I decided to donk the river here too. Uh, and I, and I think like in retrospect, I went too big. Um, I, I ended up betting 90 on the river um, because I thought this was a size giving villain three to one where they just call with all their two pair. They they can't really do much about it. And if they raise, I thought that they just don't have enough bluffs, especially on the 10 where, you know, you just mentioned like King Jack as being like a potential hand. Like now on the 10, like them raising, they've got to like turn Jack 10 into a bluff, something like that. Or like Jack's with a club that they decide to raise the turn with just hard for them to have bluffs when they raise the river here, which is like another forcing their, you're, Sorry, I was just going to say you're forcing their bluffs to come from like a natural parts of their range. Right, right. Which makes it to where like if they did raise, then it's just like quite quite an easy fold with with trays. Um, but yeah, that, that that was my thought process in the hand. Um, and again, I think I could have gone down to like 60 or so, but. Yeah, um, I just want to, if I can like tie this back to like what we were saying, your your decision to donk the river to like what we said their range was on the turn. Um, so like kind of what this donk attacks is like the range that wants to raise the turn to check back the river at a high frequency um like yeah. hands like queen five ace five ace three ace queen those those types of hands um, while at the same time sort of allowing you to be let off the hook when they do have a hand that wants to play for all the money right like the super strong flushes and um, yeah you know maybe king jack or something like that um because those hands are very likely to raise the river so you what you're trying to like accomplish here is like sort of like get the best of both worlds like not lose the max versus uh versus their top tier hands and still get their middle tier hands to put their middle tier hands that might not put in money themselves to um haul you know ninety dollars yeah and and kind of like importantly importantly to me like i i also get to realize my equity with the trays mm. because i think my yeah. my trays does have equity here and i want to realize it like pretty desperately want to realize the equity that that my bottom set has and mm. i think this path just allows me to over realize um yeah and also i think if we bring in the you know the quick note that we said about like yeah it's possible that they just have no low equity raises on the turn um i think like that what that does is it makes it so that there's less opportunity for the button to bluff the river um you know if they don't have bluffs on the turn and so like i think when we can't really check and count on them to have like a bluffing region on the river donking goes up in value as well yep yep so what happens (laughs) Uh, oh, they call and I lose. <laughs> um, so they call with the 10 high flush um, on the river. They pretty much snap called, didn't didn't really consider raising. Um, and I don't know, to me, even though I lost a pot, Feels uh, like you won. It, it felt like a win. Like, yeah. I was actually like pretty happy the way that this hand got played and the hand that they showed up with on the river. I was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, yeah. I, It's weird to say that I felt good losing a pot, but... I did feel pretty good losing this one. No, I, I know, I know exactly this feeling. Like even the flip side feels terrible too. Like these are hands that like really keep me up at night where I like don't value max with like the 10, six of clubs and they have like a super strong hand, like a set. Like these are the hands where I'm like up wondering like, man, did I just leave $549 on the table? And yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. they 
we, we ended up playing for like, you know, 35 big blinds or something, but it's like, man, like, I feel like we should have played a much bigger pot. Right, right. Like if the stacks got in, in this situation, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be shocking at all. Um, button versus button versus big blind. So yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely feel like a win for you. So we're going to have like another interesting hand on the river, uh, coming up after the break and then, yeah. So stick around. We'll see if, uh, Another little uh, unorthodox bet pays off. Um, I consider this paying off, but again, this is, you can kind of <laughs> reach your own conclusion uh, because I did lose the hint. Um, so, yeah, stick around after the break. Coming back at you. Are you a lone wolf searching for the ultimate pack? The CPG Wolf Program is a close-knit brotherhood hell-bent on one thing only, chasing poker greatness. Powered by Bleeding Edge Wolf Strats and led by Coach Brad and his lieutenants, CPG Wolves are systematically prepared for almost any spot they'll encounter on the green felt. If you want to plug into an elite team and have a step-by-step -step game plan to realize your full poker potential, you can apply at cpgwolves.com. Space is limited, and the pack is only as strong as its weakest member. So only the hungriest, grittiest, and most driven will be accepted into the program. Applications are open at cpgwolves.com. All right, welcome back from the break. And yeah, going to have a, a little John Chai special here. We, we have a queen and a six of spades in the big blind, and somehow it's going to be worthy of tactical Tuesdayness. Um, you you want to break down the action? Sure. Uh, so this is this is one of Brad's hands still. Um, starts with a button open. We're playing 510, 2.2x, small blind folds. Oh, actually, my bad. Small blinds of fish. So yep. they call. Uh, Brad's obviously not folding queen six suited in this spot. We put in the extra 1.2 big blinds, I assume. See, th this is why, you know, so sometimes uh <laughs> might need some help with ha having a third party come in and read read the action um so i actually decided to squeeze <laughs> so oh, so we're, we're getting weird from preflop yeah we're, we're, we're getting weird from preflop so like the, the small blind flatting um i opted to squeeze with the suited queen preflop i just think it, it's a hand that like Obviously can complete, but I do like exerting pressure on small blind flats after the button opens uh, and squeezing pretty religiously. Um, so I go ahead. And so I got the button open right in terms of reading action. Got you did. Else wrong. Great. You, get, you okay. got one. All you have to do is look at the actions and see what don't, people don't. are doing. I was trying to predict. <laughs> I just assumed the small blind was going to fold. And then once the small blind called, I didn't think anything other than call was on the table with queen six of spades. But yeah, yeah don't hire me as a play-by-play -play guy. Hey, man. Yeah, it's got... I can make like two, four straights, a flush. It's like incredible. Um, so I squeeze the queen six, the button calls and the small blind folds, which is not the greatest of outcomes, but it, we're going to talk about the squeeze at all. We just, just like, yeah, go talk about just, it. Talk about it. Talk about it. You would tell what I'm not, I would have flatted here with queen six as, as, as previously stated. I mean, what's going on here? Yeah. I mean, I like, I just think like versus a button open, and small blind flat when the small blinds a fish i really like three betting because one of the most likely outcomes that happens when i squeeze is that the button folds and the fish calls and then i'm playing a three bet pot against against a fish in the small blind when they have the top of their range kind of mapped out 
right? They, they just don't have, or they, they just don't have like the whole top region, uh, top left region of their range. If you're listening to it, like thinking about it in your mind's eye. And I think like, even though my hand is like, not, not the loveliest of hands in the world, it's a queen and a six, um, playing against a small blind here in this spot post-flop is totally fine. Like I'm, I'm like, that's a situation that like, I'm totally comfortable and an outcome. I'm just totally, totally fine getting myself into versus gotcha. preflop four bet. I don't really care about queen six because I just going to fold to the preflop four bet. So I feel like, okay, like I'm not, you know, I'm not costing myself a lot of equity when I squeeze with this hand. Um, and I think that like villains are going to be fairly straightforward. Like the button's going to be fairly straightforward with their four bets uh, in this spot too. And they're probably going to lean towards flatting more than four betting because of the small blind being in the, in the mix. Okay. So anyway, th- those are, that, that's my rationale for squeezing queen six. Um, we'll just call it right now, like a mixed strategy. You know, I rolled, yeah, yeah. I, I rolled, did they, do they roll high or low? I don't know how they, they I don't know. They and also I'm sure there's a chart somewhere that, that lets you do this with queen six. So probably not because there's no chart where the small blind flats. So it's, you know, we're, we're <laughs> out, out in the middle of the desert. Um, so we get, we get the, the not greatest of outcomes of the button flats and the small blindfold. So now we're playing a big pot, a bloated pot out of position versus a reg. Um, but hot pair, baby. We flop top pair, which is, I mean, this, this is what else do you need? Um, yeah. There's 322 in the pod. I'm going to give John another chance to do the play by play here. So, first decision points on me um, top air weak kicker, backdoor, flush draw. Okay. So, imagine hmm. that you squeeze <laughs> with queen nine suited, right? There's essentially the same hand. I think the sand could go either uh, one of two directions for me. I think it would either fall into like a small range bet category um, on this board. So something around a third or a quarter um, or would just be one of my flop, one of my stronger flop checks. Um, and I'd probably look to use it as a blood catcher. Um, yeah, so I'm. I, I think I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be bluff catching at some point with my queen. I think I'm, I'm definitely not going for like three streets or something like that until unless I turn a six or yeah, something really good. Um, so I would start out with a small bet or a check. Cool. Yep. I went with small um, quarter villain calls. So everything is okay. Feeling pretty comfortable about the spot right now. Turn is a flush completer. So seven of clubs. Um, I think this pretty much makes our hands tied with our, with our hand. Uh, yeah. Doing a lot of checking on this turn card anyways. And you know, queen six is going to very easily fall into my checking range here. Yep. So I decided to check there's 41 in the pot. Um, I've got 770 and villain has me covered turn checks through and the, we, we have a, you know, Charles Dickens type situation. It's the best of times and the worst of times <laughs> we river two pair. That's the good news. The bad news is that this two pair comes on a four flush. Um, so river is a six of clubs, final board being queen, seven, six, three, deuce with four clubs. Um, now what? Okay, so if we want to check call here, what we need is the button to have a, a bluffing range, right? Which should exist right once the once we only bet a third on the flop and they and they only call 
um maybe assume that they are going to be like yeah but i mean just like if i just think of like some of the hands that call the flop that would need to bluff this river maybe some something like jack 10 of spades or you know sure. 10 9 of spades 8 9 of spades yeah something like that some sort of backdoor flush draw hand um maybe they have something like ace four ace five uh the problem with that is like those hands and i mean maybe they just do but those hands also need to check the turn yeah like like the jack 10 of hearts needs to check the turn and like you kind of don't if you have like or jack 10 of spades like if you call the flop with jack 10 of spades a very small bet and like villain checks the turn i think the the thing to do is generally to bet because well you've made it a flop investment and that investment can't just mean that you're trying to like make a flush every time right you're gonna need a bluff with that region of hands at some point so maybe it's not an absolute frequency but it feels like there is some removal there when they don't bet the turn Okay, so then the hands, it sounds like what you're saying then is that like the lower equity hands that check back the turn are going to be hands that probably don't want to get check raised, right? And that's the reason they're checking back. A hand like Jack 10 of Spades doesn't care if it gets check raised. A hand like King Jack of Hearts doesn't care if it gets check raised. So um, betting the turn is like, bet folding the turn, you know, is not a huge event for them. But maybe a hand like Ace Jack with the Ace of Clubs or, you know, Ace 10 with, uh, well, I mean, probably four bet Ace King 10. Queen. I yeah, think King queen clubs, jack, something like that. jacks, tens, nines, eights, the medium pocket pairs, I think are hands that like, they, they want to realize their equity. They want to make it to showdown um, and they don't want to get check raised. So that, that was I'm kind thinking, of- I'm thinking about like low equity hands on there, like hands that aren't paired, right? Cause like yeah, for yeah. us to check call queen six, we need some bluffs on the river, right? Sure. So like, right. What, yeah. I, I couldn't find many of them in game. Like I didn't really think, I actually thought that like, if I check and they bet the river, I'm probably going to have to fold. Like that, that was kind of my thinking was like hard for them to find a bluff to have like a, a robust bluff region and easy for them to have a bunch of value bets, like tens with a 10 of clubs, jacks with a jack of clubs, sure. uh, ace queen with the ace of clubs, you know, king queen with the king of clubs, just uh, that, that to me is like they're, they're the hands that they, they value bet versus check. So mm-hmm. I think essentially the way that the way I thought about it was I hyper-focused on the middle middle region of their range those pocket pairs maybe fours and fives fall into this too right fours fives eights nines tens and jacks um that if i check the river like this is my, my thought was if i check the river when those hands have a club they're going to value bet but when they don't have a club they're always going to check behind mm-hmm. and so because and even like the king queen suited queen jack suited ace queen suited or ace queen offs king queen offs like when they don't have a club, they're going to check behind. And when they do, they're, they're going to value bet. So because that was kind of the situation as I saw it, I thought that I could bet the river myself and get called by their jacks, tens, nines, and eights that didn't have a club while still getting called by their jacks, tens, nines, and eights that do have a club. But like essentially one bet needs, I thought one bet needs to go in here. And how do I do it in such a way where they have, hands that I beat, enough hands that, that I beat. And so blocking the river was kind of like the natural place that I found, that, that I fell on. There's 481 in the pot, and I believe that I bet, yeah, I bet 158. So I bet like a third on the river. Yeah, and so <clears throat> as long as Villain calls with, with that pocket pair range without a club, um, I yeah, I think you're good. right. that It's like, yeah, it's very likely that you're going to be beating 50% of the calling range. So I think you can... Yeah. Well, they're going to like every pocket pair is going to have six combos, three combos that have a club, three combos that do not. 
Um, and when you factor in like the suited hands, like King, Queen, Ace, Queen, Queen, Jack, that I could also get called by, it felt like, felt like yeah. it was a spot that, you know, I could value bet thinly. Maybe, nah, yeah, I, th I think that that's that's the region. Um, so I think this kind of, that last comment ties in really well to my last question, which was going to be, is the six on the river meaningful for you? Like, would yeah. you still be using this block? Okay, because you're targeting the King, Queens, and Queen Jacks without a... Yeah, I, I did think rivering two pair was meaningful because now I beat Ace, Queen, and King, Queen, and Queen Jack okay. suited. And, gotcha. I, and I felt like that was important. Okay, so um, on the eight of clubs, for example, you'd just be check folding. Yeah, hoping okay. it goes, hoping it checks through, but folding, facing a bet. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, that's actually... I like this a lot. I, I like the analysis a lot. Um, I think, like you said, I do think hitting the six on the river is is really meaningful, especially when we're kind of going for our, like a really thin value bet like this. Like it is, you know, their king queen and queen jack combos are very likely going to come into play. Um, considering that, like, yeah, okay, if half their pocket pairs have a club, half of them don't, then we also have to account for like some of the flushes that they get to the river with. How do we how do we balance out some of the flushes with worse hands? Well, they need to start calling with king queen and queen jack. Um, yep. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yep. So, did you? Is this like a one of those sad happy endings, or is this an actual happy ending? No, nah, this one's happy. They called. Yay! They called that. We won the whole pot. We we won the whole pot. I, I don't have the whole cards on here, but uh, yet, but um, they ended up having like ten of spades, ten of hearts. So the nice. they, they called with the region that that I hoped would call the yeah. the river one third, which yeah felt feels felt really good. good feels really good when you get called by that range because like that's what that's like you know that would be like what i'm not sure about when i bet the river is like oh there's tens without a club call it's eights without a club call so like seeing that seeing that hand call is is probably like the most meaningful part of the range for me and, and oh it's it, huge it gives me the most confidence in, in, in doing this yeah you don't want to you don't want them to fold and then look up the hand later and see that they folded 10 of yeah. spades 10 of hearts exactly. because then exactly. then the value bet is like oh my god like that's that's just torching if they're yep. if they're yep. folding that those hands and they're only calling with like their flushes, then this bet is like just torching. Yep. Um, so yeah, pretty good. Good ending to my my adventure in the steps. And uh, I think that's gonna do it for this episode of Tactical Tuesday. You know, once again, wolf tryouts are open, limited time, closing. Um, you know, less than a week after this podcast goes live. So if you want to get in there. Send me an email, brat at chasingpokergreatness.com. I'll send you the link. Or if you're in Greatness Village, click through the link that's provided in the university channel. And that's all I got for you. See you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.